Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Exodus 18, verses 13 through 27 says this. This is right after Jephro gets saved. This is right after somebody gets saved. Literally, they don't even make us wait, make us wait a week or a month. We get to see it right, right, right here, live and in action. What happens? The next day, right after Jephro got saved, Moses sat down to judge the people. And they stood around Moses from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw everything that he was doing for them, he asked, what is this you're doing for the people? He makes an interesting observation. Why are you sitting alone as judge while all the people stand around from morning until evening? And Moses explains this to his father-in-law because the people come to me to inquire of God. Whenever they have a dispute, whenever they have issues with each other, they come to me. I make a decision between one man and another, and then I teach them God's statutes and God's law. And here's the observation of a brand new believer, somebody who just got saved. Here's what he says to Moses. Dude, what you're doing is not good. You, you're going to wear yourself out, you and these people who are with you. And here's why. Because the task is too heavy for you. You can't do this alone. You can't, you can't do this by your, whatever it is you're trying to get done. God never intended for you to do it by yourself. Now listen to me. I'll give you some advice. Because I'm an old head, you're a young buck. Give you some advice, and God be with you. Here's what you should do. In, in, in my opinion, here's what, what I think you should do. You, you be the one to represent the people before God. And bring their cases to him. Keep doing what you're already doing. Instruct them about the statutes and the laws and teach them the way they should live and what they should do. You keep, keep doing what you do. Don't change that. But here's what I think you should do. This is just my opinion. I'm offering up this advice humbly. You should select from all the people, able men, God-fearing, trustworthy, hating dishonest prophet. Here's what you should do. Place them over the people as commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And they should judge the people at all times. Then they can bring you every major case, but judge every minor case themselves. And this way, here's what's going to happen. You are lighting your load, and they'll bear it with you. If you do this and stop trying to do everything by yourself, You'll be able to endure because God's plan is not for you to die while you're working. You'll be able to endure. And all these people that are frustrated because you're frustrated, they'll be able to go home satisfied. They'll be able to go in peace because you're at peace. And Moses didn't say, oh, head, get out of my face. You know what you're talking about. He listened. To the sage old wise advice of his father-in-law and did everything he said. So Moses chose able men from all Israel and made them leaders over the people as commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And they judged the people at all times. They would bring the hard cases to Moses, just like Jethro said, but they would judge every minor case themselves. And then Moses said, thank you. And he let his father-in-law go. And Jethro journeyed back to his own land. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray for illumination today. I pray for your grace today, your mercy to hit us today, God. I pray that we will be transformed through the listening, the understanding, uh, the comprehension of your word today. God, I pray for every person in this room. I pray for every family in this room. I pray, God, for everyone who is carrying heavy burdens today, God. I pray that you would alleviate that for them today, Lord. I pray for people who have anxiety and, 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 and have so many things going on in life that they just can't seem to handle. God, today, I pray that you would be a healer, God. I pray today, Father, that, that you would, would lift our burdens, Father, that, that you would, would give us the grace, the power to surrender control of our own lives, God, and, and surrender to you, Lord. And I pray 
that, that today we would trust you, that we would love you more today. And ultimately, God, I pray it's your son Jesus that is glorified and lifted up. In Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God said amen. You may be seated. My, my sermon title from the sermon series, God With Us, is All Hands on Deck. All Hands on Deck. Here's what this passage drives home for us. It drives home this point that if you bear the name of Jesus, that, that if you are belong to God and you bear his name, then you play a role in God's plan to save his people. That, that's right. You, no matter what you feel about yourself, no matter how qualified or unqualified you think you are today, you are supposed to play a role in God's plan to save his people. God, God had a plan to save the world through the finished work of his son Jesus dying on the cross, being resurrected so that people would have forgiveness of sins and eternal life through him. That, that's part of the plan. But, but God would also use us as believers and witnesses of what his son has done for us to save the rest of the world. God gives us all a role to play in his plan of salvation. God uses broken, sinful, messed up people like you and I for his purposes and for his glory. And, and so oftentimes we hear a statement like that and we, we tend to filter it through our own lens about ourselves and we think that, that yeah, that sounds cool, but I think that's for the professional Christians. I, I think that's for the professional people, the, the pastors, the, the ministers, all of those people who serve as professionals in the church. It, it's, for, it's for them. It, it's not for, for a person like me. But, but let me tell you this, the, the person who has been saved for five minutes or the person who has been saved for 50 years has been called by God to contribute to what God is doing to save the world and to expand his kingdom. Let me say that again. If you've been saved for five minutes or if you've been saved for 50 years, God's plan is for you to contribute to what he is doing to save the world and to expand his kingdom. God has a plan and a purpose for you. Here's the dilemma, though. The plan and the purpose that God has it's not about you. It's about him. It's not for your glory. It's for his glory. But God's plan is always better than ours anyway. So here's what I need you to know, that, that if you feel unqualified, if you feel like, well, I, I don't know enough. I don't know the whole Bible. I don't know all 66 books. I haven't read the whole Bible. I kind of started at the beginning of the year with the church on the Bible reading program, but I stopped in mid-January. Because pastor stopped mentioning it and I didn't have the discipline to keep going. So I'm not qualified. But here's what I think we'll find out today. You don't have to wait to be useful. You, you don't have to wait to be useful. You don't have to wait to be useful. God can use you right where you are. Everyone plays a part. In God's plan of salvation, God has called us as believers to, to, to work for him in the world. He's called us to go out beyond the four walls of the church and, and go out and seek and save that which is lost. God says that we're all ambassadors of Christ. We're crying out to people, be reconciled to God through his son. We all have that job and that responsibility. God has called us to serve in the world no matter where you are, no matter where you work, no matter where you go to school, no matter what you do, even if you're a stay-at-home mom. God has called us. God has given us a plan and a purpose to work for him in the world. But God has not only called us to serve in the world, God has also called us to serve each other in the local church. So, so it's not uh, 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 one or the other. It's, it's both and. We are, we're supposed to go out and work for God in the world and serve the world, but we're also supposed to serve each other. And I want to bring that to light today that God has called us with this dual, this dual citizen, not this dual citizenship, but this dual role to, to be his ambassadors in the world and in the church. We're not just supposed to serve the world. We're supposed to serve each other. And so I think what gets lost is that there's an erroneous understanding and perspective about Christianity because it's the doctrine of it is my own personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's my own personal relationship. 
And what that communicates is, is I go to church to receive a word for me, for my life, so I can fill up my agenda. But what if God is speaking to you not to fulfill your own agenda, but actually to do his? To actually to do his. He, he, he calls us from idolatry of self and worship of the one living true God. That, that God says that, that when you come to church, you're coming to be equipped not for yourself so you can build your own thing, but you're actually doing it so that I can use you for my kingdom in the world. It, 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 it goes to show us that, that when, when Paul says in Romans 12, 1 through 2, Paul says in a very famous scripture, he says, in view of the mercies of God, in view of what God has done, in view of what has happened, in view of what my son has done, in view of the mercies that, that, that you benefited from, from my son dying for you, that you're forgiven, that you're saved, right? In view of the mercies of God, here's what he says, I urge you to present your body as a living sacrifice. When he says that, he's not just talking about your physical body, he's talking about all of you. That, that in view of what God has done, you no longer belong to yourself. In view of the sacrifice of his son, you are now to offer and sacrifice up your own life for the sake of, of the call of Christ. That, that in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your body as a living sacrifice. You are to die to self so that you can live for God. This is what he calls us to, so it, so, it, so it flies in the face of this individualistic Christianity that we've been talked about, but we've, we've created our own buffet of listen to this preacher, listen to that preacher, listen to this preacher, listen to that preacher, and we go after whatever sounds good to appease our own agenda. When God has called us to serve him for his purposes, and I think we get to see this in the life of Jethro, where Jethro understands, although this was not written at this time, he, he serves as a picture for us of do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. We can immediately see that Jethro's mind has been transformed as soon as he gets saved. And his worldview changes so much so that he offers advice that will point forward to what we see now in the church. And so God has a design for us that is not just about us, but it's about him. I, I was reading an article. There was a, a popular article from BuzzFeed that came about that, that talked about the millennials being the burnout generation, the burnout generation, that, that they're, they're just tired, that, that millennials are tired, that, that they, they feel burnt out, right, just, just, just can't do anything else. And, and I, I think it's interesting that, that one part of the article says this about millennials and burnout. It says it's not a temporary affliction. It's the millennial condition. It's our base temperature. It's our background music. It's the way things are. It is our lives. But when it's about you, you know what happens? Burnout. You get, you get burned out. But what if I told you that God has a, a better plan for us that doesn't result in burnout, but it results in flourishing? What if God's plan for you was not to always be tired? You ever be tired from doing nothing? Why am I tired? I ain't been nowhere. I just woke up. I'm tired again. It's time for a nap. You ever woke up and then said it's time for a nap? <laughs> what is that? I just woke I literally got eight hours. I feel like I've been working all day. I ain't left the house. I ate and I'm just tired. Burnout. But God calls us to human flourishing. And oftentimes what we try to do to fix our burnout is that we try to uh, 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 subtract. We try to take things and throw things off of our plate. We try to move to a new job that is less stressful. We move to a different city because we're tired of the old one. We, we change friends and we do all of these things and we make all of these changes to subtract, to, to help us not feel burnout. But what if God's plan was not for you to subtract, 
But maybe his plan is for you to share the load. Maybe the plan is not for God to take stuff off your plate, but for you to share what's on your plate. You never see God saying, hey, I know I called you to it. I'm going to take it away from you. God never, God, God, I said this last week, God never calls people that aren't busy. Everybody God calls is already doing something, and God, he doesn't subtract something from them. He adds something to what they're already doing. But what if God's plan was not for you to subtract, but for you to share the load? And I think this, this will bear out in what we study today and hear things that we're going to witness in Jethro's life. We're going to witness two things. Number one, we're going to see the contribution from a recent convert. The contribution from a recent convert. We're going to see how somebody who just got saved immediately starts contributing to the life in the community of believers. And number two, we're going to see God's model of leadership for the flourishment of his people. I know that's a lot if you're taking notes, but I'm going to say it again. Go check it on YouTube when it comes out. I'm sorry. Number one, we're going to see the contribution from a recent convert. Number two, we're going to see God's model of leadership for the flourishment of his people. And here's what we'll realize, that this passage shows that God does not expect one person to do all the work. But God gives his approval when the work is shared by those that are qualified to lead. Let me say that again. This passage shows that God does not expect one person to do all the work. But God actually gives his approval when the work is shared by those that are qualified to lead. And we have to look at the life of Moses. And I want you to think about Moses. We talked about Moses a lot and how Moses has been leading Israel. He led them out of Egypt and he went to Pharaoh on their behalf and put his own life in danger and they finally got out, and he led them across the Red Sea, and he's using his staff, and God is using Moses as an instrument, but Moses is also the mediator between God and the people. He's also the military leader. They just got in a fight with the Amalekites. He, he's done all of that. He's also a teacher. We just saw in the text where it says he teaches them God's statutes and God's law, but he's also has, he also has another job. He also serves as a judge. Moses has a lot of jobs. When I heard all these jobs, I, got, I was tired for him. I don't, y'all not, maybe not be old enough for this, but some of us are. There's a show that's come out called In Living Color. In, in Living Color introduced us to a lot of famous people, Jim Carrey, Jamie Foxx, Jennifer Lopez, all those people. They, they introduced, but there, there was this one little, little segment spoof that they did about this dude from the Caribbean. He was a Jamaican dude, but he had like hundreds of jobs. Like, he, he, was, he had hundreds of jobs, and I was thinking, man, I think Moses is from the Caribbean. <laughs> Moses might just be Jamaican. Moses might be Haitian. I don't know. He might be from one of the islands. But we have to think about all of these jobs that Moses is doing. Mo, Mo, consider the task of leading the people out of Egypt through the Red Sea into the wilderness. And they're not always a faithful people. They're not always willing to go and follow. They are always complaining. A people who are oftentimes desiring to go back to where you brought them from, even though where you brought them from was in bondage and where you're taking them to is freedom. And they still don't want it. And you got to lead people to where they want to go when they want to go back to where they came from. You're trying to lead them to freedom and lead them into the promised land, but they want to go back into slavery because it's comfortable there. And th this is the plight of Moses. Now imagine all of those people, and I'm not talking about five people, I'm not talking about ten people. If you've been here, some scholars estimate that it's up to a million people that Moses is leading. Almost a million people that have come out of Egypt and going into the promised land. There's a million people that he's trying to lead. Now, these people have been complaining. They've been wanting to go back to Egypt. Now, I can't think for one second that while they're out there that they're getting along. We can't get five people in the same room to agree on anything. How are you going to get a million people to go in the same direction at the same time? But this is his task. And here he is in this text serving in one of his roles as a judge. He's a judge. He's judging civil cases amongst the people. He's, he, they have a judicial system. You have to have a judicial system when you got a million people. 
you got to have some sort of court system to settle all of these grievances and these offenses and injustices that people are committing against each other. You have to have some sort of judicial system. And Moses is serving as a judge of the people. And I want you to imagine a line of people, thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of people who have issues with each other are standing in line for one man to judge their cases. They expect a fair verdict. And here he is judging disputes all by himself. You think you don't have a work-life balance. No, Moses don't have a work-life balance. In verse 14 says, when Moses' father-in-law saw everything he was doing for them, he asked. It's important. He asked. He asked. What is this you're doing for the people? Um, why are you sitting alone as judge while all the people stand around you from morning to the evening? And he responded. He answered the question. Verses 15 through 16, here's what he says. Because the people come to me to inquire of God. And whenever they have a dispute, it comes to me. And I make a decision between one and another. I teach them God's statutes and laws. I'm, whenever they come to me, I seek God's will for it. I render a verdict and I teach them God's law. I hear from God, I render a verdict, and then I teach the people. I want you to notice something. Moses is not judging and making decisions on his own accord. He's a mediator between God and the people. He's a go-between of sorts. Whatever he does is coming from God. He, he prays and seeks God's will on behalf of the people. Then he teaches them God's statutes and God's law. He, he makes decisions according to God's will. He's not just prophesying. He's not flowing in the, in the uh, pathetic. But we see him praying and then teaching. Here's what I want you to get. You need this. Moses' primary responsibility as a leader was to pray and teach. His primary responsibility for Moses was an intercessor to pray and to teach. Or you can say pray slash teach and preach. Praying and preaching. Praying and preaching was his primary responsibility. And here he is. Judging all these cases on an individual basis from sunup to sundown. And Jethro did not find Moses' response to his question sufficient for the results that he was actually getting. He observed, he said, here's the results. You worn out and the people are worn out. He's like, I hear you. I know that's your job. I know that's what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. But I'm looking at the results. And your results are not sufficient for the amount of work that you keep putting in. They're not happy, and you're not happy. They're frustrated, and you're frustrated. They're exhausted, and you're exhausted. They've been waiting in line all night long, like at a Drake concert. And you're sitting there judging. And Jethro's observation is what you're doing is not good. You will certainly wear out both yourself and these people who are with you because the task is too heavy for you. You can't do it alone. J Jethro is downright shocked at what he's seeing. He's looking at this line. He's looking at Moses. He's looking at this line. He's looking at, this, he's looking at Moses. And he's like, what in the world is happening here? He's recognizing that the, the strain that is putting on his son-in-law. He's recognizing the strain that is putting on the people. And he sees the potential for disaster, not just for Moses, but for the people as well. One man judging all these people and he says it's not good meaning it's a strong disapproval when he said it's not good it's not good you can't do it alone I, it reminded me of something it's not good you can't do it alone I couldn't help but to think of Genesis chapter 2 well he gives Adam this job and Adam is working and God realizes hey ooh, it's not good for man to be alone 
you can't do this. Let me find a helper who is suitable for him. Let me get an extra pair of hands. Notice he doesn't say, oh, you know what? Forget that work I told you to do. You don't have a job anymore. Too much for you. No, he says, I'm not going to take away your responsibility. I'm just going to get you some help. I'm not going to subtract. I'm going to help you share the load. This is what I see. He says it's too heavy for one man. And we have to think about his role as mediator, as leader, as military leader, as political leader, as judicial leader. He's the intercessor. He's the go-between. He's teaching the people. And we must consider the spiritual, emotional, psychological, and the physical effects it had on Moses. It had to be killing them. Words of yea, one man can't have all this power. If you know what we're talking about, don't worry about it. There was nothing wrong with Moses serving as judge. It was an obligation. The problem was not him serving as judge. The problem was him serving as the only judge. That's the only problem. And Jephthah didn't suggest that he stop his job or stop teaching the people. But it did show that even as mediator and as judge, that this one man was not sufficient. Theologically, this should teach us that there's a need for a greater Moses. This should teach us that, 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 this, that, that there's another Moses that will come that will not get tired of dealing with issues. One that will always have time for us and that we won't have to stand in line and wait for. That we'll no longer need to wait around to hear from one man. That, that, that one that will reveal God's will for us. And God has already sent this greater Moses and his name is Jesus. And he has all the time in the world and you never have to wait in line. You never have to worry about if he's tired. You never have to worry about if his verdict that he's rendering is fair or not. He will always do the right thing on your behalf it's pointing to him and here Moses is doing his best to be faithful to his calling now Moses is doing all this all this alone by himself and one would think that Moses maybe Moses is being overconfident maybe Moses is being arrogant maybe maybe Moses is insecure and doesn't want anybody else to have some sort of influence and authority. That, that can happen in leadership. There can be people who lead who don't want other people to, flir- to, th- to thrive and flourish. There can be leaders who stand in the way of someone else's progress because they are insecure. They don't want to lose their spot. That is possible. It happens in the corporate world and it happens in the church. There's some pastors who have to be in all the meetings that nothing can happen without them knowing about it. And I get it, but just because I get it don't make it right. But This is not Moses' problem. Moses is so preoccupied with the needs of the people and their well-being that he can't even see that his good, best intentions are inadequate. You can have good intentions and still be inadequate at what you're doing. Good intentions are not fail-proof. Just because you are pure in heart with what you're trying to do doesn't mean that what you're doing is inadequate. Sometimes it's not your intentions. It's just that you're inadequate with what you're trying to do. And this is what's happening here. Because even the greatest leaders may not always see their own limitations. This is why you shouldn't do it alone. Because how you know you're inadequate unless somebody tells you? How you know that what you're doing is insufficient unless there's somebody there to tell you? I didn't know I preached for 50 minutes last week. Y'all remember that thing in Genesis chapter 2 I told y'all about when, when he gave Adam a job and he said it's not good for that man to be alone, right? He gave him a wife and her name is Eve, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Well, my rendition of that told me that I preached almost an hour last week. <laughs> Nobody else would have told me. 
They just would have been like, it's, it's, your sermon was all right. <laughs> Who do you have in your life that can speak to your blind spots? Who can actually be honest with you? There's a B clause to that. Who can actually be honest with you and you receive what they have to say? Oh. But I want to I make an observation on the contribution of this recent convert. I, I want to make an observation in verse 14. I, I want to look at for a second, and I don't want to stay here long, but I want to look at this. The motive, the motive and the method of Jethro. I want to look at his motive, and I want to look at his method, because he asked him, what is this that you're doing, and why are you doing it alone? He asked the question. Notice what Jethro doesn't do. Jethro doesn't jump to a conclusion or make an assumption based on his own perspective. He asked first. He doesn't just come to his own conclusions about what is happening and why it's happening and why he's doing all of this work. He actually has the respect to ask the question. He doesn't make an assumption because his goal wasn't to undermine Moses' leadership. His goal was to undergird him. He wanted to support what he was doing. His goal was to bring relief to Moses and also relief to the people. But when your motives are pure, your perspective and your approach will be right. Sometimes, before you assume and do what you know the phrase says, I didn't tell you to say that. I think that. (laughs) Ask first. Asking is a sign of wisdom because anybody can assume. And here's his advice. Listen to me. Now listen to me. No, I'm sorry. I said this wrong. Now listen to me. Because he, he didn't say a gangster like that. He, he, didn't, he didn't say it hard like that. He didn't like, listen to me, young buck. He didn't say it like that. I promise he didn't. Here, here's how I know he didn't. He says, I'll give you some advice and God be with you. You be the one to represent the people for God and bring their case to him and instruct them about the statutes and laws and teach them the way they should live and what they must do. But you should select from all the people able men, God-fearing, trustworthy, hating, dishonest prophet. Place them over people as commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, and they should judge the people at all times. Then they can bring every major case, but you judge. But they, you can judge all the major cases, but they can judge all the minor cases. In this way, you'll lighten your load, and they'll bear it with you. Another observation I want to make about Jethro. He didn't complain about the problem. He contemplated a solution. He didn't complain about the problem. He contemplated a solution. Jethro didn't make the observation and say, hey, this is ridiculous. You need to figure this out and do something about it. He didn't say that. He he didn't complain and call up other members of the community and commiserate over what was happening without actually caring enough and loving enough to present an actual tangible plan to be put in place. place. He, He loved enough to come up with a plan. He didn't, he didn't say, hey, you know what? I'm going to call some other people in the covenant community and we're going to commiserate and complain together. Because the motives are right. Never mistake complaining for contributing. Your complaints are not contribution. They're complaints. Y'all all right? Y'all here? Okay, all right. Just making sure. Secondly, Jethro respectfully offered his advice slash idea without demanding that it be done. That's so good. Jethro respectfully offered his advice or his idea, whatever you want to call it, without demanding that it be done. He doesn't say, hey, hey, he doesn't say, hey, give you some advice. You better do it. He says, I'll give you some advice and God be with you, meaning let God confirm this to you. Seek his will, and if what I offered up is right, then God bless you. You go forward with you. Do it. Hey, I'm offering this idea and a plan, but hey, I know, hey, it's just my idea, my thought, my observation. I think this might be good for us. Hey, but, but you present this to God and let him decide if it's the right thing for you to do. 
He said, hey, hey, this is my idea. I think it's the bomb. I think it's awesome. I think it's amazing. I think it's going to change the world, and you better do it. No, he didn't do that. He says, hey, this is my observation. Hey, let God decide what be done. Let, let, let God, you pray about it. You, you're the leader. You pray about it, and whatever you decide, I'm going to roll with it with you. He doesn't take his spiritual ball and go home. He doesn't do that. Imagine if Jeffro didn't get his idea received, and then he detached himself and complained in his corner and became bitter and toxic just because Moses didn't do the things he wanted it to be done. Imagine that. M- Moses, because here's the, here's the caveat. Moses didn't immediately accept his idea. We see that he did it in the text, but if we read Deuteronomy chapter 1, he's, he actually implemented this after they were given the Ten Commandments at Sinai. But he didn't do it immediately because sometimes it's not about your idea being good. Sometimes your timing is off. Know the difference. You're about to quit your job because you did all this work and they didn't accept it. Maybe they know something that you don't know. But can you imagine that he would have just left if his idea didn't get implemented. Jeffro could have got in his feelings, but he didn't. And we have to allow the spirit of God to grow us and mature us in such a way that we can love our church, want the best for it without having to despise it if it's not led the way that we would lead it. We have to remember this is so important. Don't you ever forget it. It is the Lord's church and the growth and success of it depends on him it's not predicated on one person's idea being implemented this is God's church it's not my church it's not whoever xyz pastor's church it is the Lord's church and and he is the one who determines the success and the growth of a ministry not the people there God is just using the people but it's his plan ultimately and when you have that perspective your feelings won't always be hurt and you won't always be offended Y'all hear me? Am I here? Is this thing on? All right. Prayer for it is always better than complaining about it. Prayer for it is always better than complaining about it. Can you imagine if all the energy we spend complaining and criticizing was spent praying? Maybe we would see the change that we want to see, but instead we complain about it. But maybe the solution isn't complain. Maybe it's praying. So we see this, his approach. And then last thing we get to is God's model of leadership. Here's what he tells them. Continue doing what you're doing as a leader of the people. Keep praying and keep teaching. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to select a judicial hierarchy. Select some able men, some wise spiritual leader to, to govern the people. Because you know what happens? If, if he's judging all the cases by himself, it creates a us versus him dynamic. This is what happens. It'll create a us versus him dynamic. He's the only one to judge. So when things are not gone in the verdict that they expect, who are they going to blame? The one person. And so he introduces shared leadership. And he tells them to delegate, delegate, delegate. Select people to an office. Appoint them. And here's the type of people I want you to select. I want you to select God-fearing, trustworthy people who hate dishonest profit, people who are not greedy. I want you to select mature people who honor God in everything that they do. I want you to select trustworthy people who keep their commitments. And I want you to select people who are not greedy for personal gain and position themselves for their own agenda. God-fearing, trustworthy people who hate dishonest profit and set them as leaders over the people and let them handle the smaller, uncomplicated uh, cases so that they can distribute the weight of the ministry. And here's what happens. This text sets the pattern of leadership in the church after the resurrection of Jesus. And God's model for the benefit of the body was the establishment of two offices, the pastor slash elder office and the deacon office. You need to pay attention here because some of us have grown up with an erroneous understanding of what a pastor is and what a deacon is. I've said this before and I'll say it again. A deacon is not an old man who wears a polyester suit, who sits in the corner, who hums and sings hymns all morning. Not the dude that says really, really, really long prayers. That thanks God for a lot of weird stuff. I grew up in a traditional church, so I get it. He gets up, up there, kneel on one knee, says the, long, the longest prayer you ever heard in your life. 
prays about everything that's ever existed. And you look at your watch and it's 3.30. And church started at 11. And he just started praying. It's not what that is. So pastor elders are the shepherds that are tasked with the oversight of the church. Their job is to feed and protect the sheep. They serve as a plurality of men together to balance out the pastoral weaknesses, to add wisdom. The people get to experience different types of gifts and pull on the different strength of the men that are there. And their primary responsibility, what did I tell you Moses' primary responsibility was? To pray and preach. Same thing here. But he says select these types of men. And I want to read this to you. I'll read this. We, we see this bear out in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. This is so important. When you walk away today with a better understanding of church leadership, God's design for our leadership. Here's what it says, 1 Timothy 3, 13. Here, here's, here's the qualifications. If anyone aspires to an overseer, a pastor, he desires a noble work. An overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, self-control, sensible, respectable, hospitable. The one gift that he must have, he has to have one gift. Most everything else is character, but he has to have one gift. He has to be able to teach. Not an excessive drinker that eliminated 80% of the people in church right there. That killed half of them. That's 80% out of the way. Not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy, must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. They can't fall out in towards the rust. If anyone does not know how to manage his, I'm, I'm just kidding, know how to manage his own household, how he take care of God's church. I'm going to keep going. He must not be a new convert or he might become conceited. And incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace into the devil's trap. Here's the qualification for deacons. Likewise, it should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine that eliminated the other 20%. (laughs) Not greedy for money. That shouldn't be funny. Not hold, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Wives, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not slanderous, self-control, faithful in everything. Deacons ought to be the husbands of one wife, managing their children and their households competently. And here's the blessing, the reward that comes with deaconing. For those who have served well as deacons acquire good standing for themselves, great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So we see the office of the deacon is birthed out of a similar situation where Jethro tells Moses to pick men. The needs of the people superseded the capacity of those who were uh, assigned to preach and pray. And so there's a threat going on in the church in Acts, a spiritual disunity. Some widows need to be fed. They got overlooked, and then they implemented these deacons. And I want to read this, and we'll get to the end. Here's what it says in Acts 1 through 6. Here's what de- where deacons come from. If you ever want to know what a deacon was and what they do and where it come from, where it comes from, here it is. In those days, as the disciples were increasing, this is the church, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews. People from one culture, people from another culture, a complaint arose. There's beef. The 12 summoned the whole company of disciples, the 12 apostles, those who were assigned to preach and pray, and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, here's what y'all got to do. Select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit, wisdom, whom you can appoint to this duty. And we'll devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. I told you the responsibility is to preach and to pray. And this proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And here's what happened when they shared the leadership. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number. And a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. They were so busy, they didn't intentionally overlook these widows. Because even your best intentions can sometimes be inadequate. They were preaching and praying, doing their job, but there were so many people 
that it couldn't fall on just one person's shoulder or on two people's shoulder. They needed others who were willing to go out and help with the load and do the work. And here's where deacons were birthed. And the deacon's job is not to sit in the corner, not to critique everything, not to say no to everything. A deacon's job is to identify and serve tangible needs in the life of the community. A deacon is the person who says, you know what? I heard this person is struggling. I heard this person has this going on and they need something. I want to step in and be assistance to that person. I'm not going to bother the pastor. I'm not going to bother the other pastors. I'm not going to bother the elders. I can take care of this on my own. All they need is $50, and I have the privileges to give them $50 if they need $50. This is what deacons do. They promote, they protect, and promote the unity of the church. This is what they're supposed to do. They serve and support the ministry of those who serve as pastors and elders. And all they're doing, practically speaking, is enabling the rest of the body to identify with those who they can go to for help so that they can overburden the other leaders. And as imperfect as they are, they serve the rest of the congregation as a humble reminder of the service of our Lord Jesus Christ. Deacon. The word means serve. We think about Jesus and what he said he came to do in Mark 10, 45. You know what Jesus said he came to do? He says, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. If you read that in the Greek, it literally says, the son of man came not to be deaconed, but to deacon. And give his life as a ransom for many. And so the deacons in the church are people you can identify with that remind us of the service of Jesus who was willing to sacrifice on behalf of other people. It's beautiful what God designed for the church. It's beautiful what he designed. And it comes with a promise and a blessing. Remember what the the shepherd, the teacher's job is. They equip the saints to do the work of ministry. Not to be waiting all day long, settling every dispute that comes by themselves. So, I got a couple points and then we're done. But what I do want you to see is that Moses received humbly the correction that was offered to him. Moses received correction. Moses, even as a great leader, was still teachable. He was still teachable. He had the audacity to take humble advice and correction from somebody that was older than him. Who do you listen to? Who's in your life that can point out your blind spots? Who are you sharing the load with? And who are you helping share the load? It's kind of hard to do this when you're on your own agenda. But this is God's plan for us. Because there's an outcome. If you do this, and God so directs you, verse 23, you'll be able to endure And all these people will be able to go home satisfied. The Hebrew there literally means they'll be able to go in peace. They'll have peace. Moses will be able to endure because God has called all of us as believers to endure. God didn't call us to fall apart in the middle of the race. Some of you have been following Jesus for five years, six years, and you're tired already. You just got started. I'm burned out from Christianity. No, you burn out from you. This is why God designed the church the way he designed it. For believers to have a community to come in where we support each other, where we share the load and the burden with each other, where we help each other to endure. God's plan is not for us to quit. God's plan is for us to endure to the end. He plans for us to make it, for us to keep going. He never intended for us to quit in the middle of the race. And I'm seeing so many Christians because life is not going the way they wanted it to go. The first thing that they throw off their boat is Jesus and his church. But we're called to keep our eyes on Jesus together. Last I'm, I'm done. The people were at peace when this happened. The people were at peace. They, their needs were met because there were people who were willing to step up to, play, to the plate. Their needs were met. Moses was able to endure and the people's needs were met. Here's what I'm going to tell you. 
What, what is my role if I'm not an official assigned leader in the church? Because not everybody will be. That, that's just the reality of it. But we all have a part to play, right? What, what, is, what, what is my role as a person? Because if all hands are on deck and I'm, I'm not an elder, I'm, I'm not a deacon in the church, maybe that's not what I am, maybe that's not what, what we got has, has for me, what, what am I to do? I'm going to give you a couple things that you can do as a church member. I want to give you something. Please write this down. Please, please write this down. Here's what you can do as a church member. Here's what you can do. Pray for the ones that are leaders. Number one, pray for your church and pray for the ones that are leaders. Number two, follow their example and contribute to the work. Number one, pray for your pastors, pray for the leaders, pray for the deacons, pray for them. And then number two, follow their example and contribute to what they're doing. Number three, respect them and love them. Respect them and love them. Number four, submit to them. Not just in character, not just in how they live, but in the work that they do. Submit to them. I want to read something from Hebrews 13, 17. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says this. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Since they keep watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. I love this line. I might get it tattooed on my arm. Serious. I don't have no tattoos, but boy, every time I read this, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to get this tatted up. I'm getting this on my chest or something. I'm going to do something with this. I got, I'm going to get this like tatted on my face or something. I'm going to be like Prince, get a tattoo on my face so that the saints can see it. That's <laughs> what so I'm thinking I'm going to do with this one. So that they can do this with joy and not grief. Here's why. For that's not profitable for you. And this is what was happening with Moses that Jethro observed. He was tired of them. And they were tired of him. And no one went home satisfied. Moses couldn't flourish because he was tired. And the people couldn't flourish because they were frustrated. God's solution for it was not to subtract, but to share the load. All hands on deck. Let us pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com, to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.